Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Good morning again from my side. Um, um, it's nice to, to be able to gather in the name of the Lord and uh, it's a privilege for me to share with you um, the word of the Lord. And uh, I want to read um, a couple of verses from Colossians 2, verse 8 to 15. And <clears throat> it addresses some very relevant issues that we face today. It's amazing to me how almost unfailingly the p- stuff that were real problems in the time when the Bible was written are still real problems today. The things that were real threats when when the Bible was written is, are still real threats today. The things that, that humans needed when the Bible was written, us humans still need today. We haven't changed. God hasn't changed. The world has changed in many ways, but not in fundamental ways. And <clears throat> so we're going to um, just look at some of the, the challenges and the threats um, that, and, and the solutions that, that Paul raises to the Colossians, and, and I think we'll find that they are very relevant to us as well. We've already started speaking about some of these issues, so um, let me just jump in and read from verse 8. So it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. <clears throat> Sorry. All rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And Lord God, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for the encouragement, Lord, of your word. Thank you that your word is apocalyptic in the sense um, that, yeah, yeah, Lord, that the veil is dragged away, the veil between the natural and the spiritual, the veil between the temporary and the eternal. Through your word, you, you pull the curtain aside and you allow us to see ultimate reality. And we, we thank you for that. And we pray in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, that you'll come and just minister to our hearts and encourage us and enable us to walk in your ways and to be fully pleasing to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So... <clears throat> It's interesting here that, and we mentioned this last time, that unless 
we go deeper into the gospel and get from the gospel what we really need, we will try, inevitably try and go and meet those, to, to meet those needs with something else. And Paul mentions all kinds of stuff. He mentions you know, plausible arguments. He mentions philosophy that depends on human tradition um, and not on, on Christ. He mentions empty deceit. Um, and um, he mentions human tradition, something that, that we all receive from. He mentions elemental spirits. So when, when we look at these things, if you can just bring up that slide with the four bullets, um, there are a few ways in which we can learn about reality, learn about how things really are. Okay, And if we take, if we take the, the specific things that Paul mentions here, he mentions all of them uh, in some way or another. First way you can learn about what the world is like is through observation, you know, through your five senses, by looking, by hearing, by smelling, by feeling, okay, by doing scientific experiments, you know. You throw the soap on the water and the soap floats, or you, you, um, you know, if you turn a cup upside down and you put it um, in the water, you know, there's, there's air inside, you know, and you, and, you, know, what, you observe certain things about the world and how it works. And if you let the cup go, if it's a plastic cup, it bounces up because the air drifts it to the top. So observation, you know, you observe how people work. You observe your own heart, how your own heart works and, uh, and the motives of your own heart, all that kind of stuff. So ob- observation is a way in which we learn from the world. Another way is speculation. And, and a lot of philosophy is just that. The word philosophy just means, you know, the love and pursuit of wisdom. Um, But much of it is speculation because philosophy is concerned not only with the things that you can observe, but with the things that you cannot observe. In other words, philosophy, where science is limited to the natural, what you can measure empirically, philosophy goes beyond that. So philosophy wants to talk about the heart and the motives and ultimate reality as well. You know, where do we come from? Why are we here? What are we? You know, who are we? Um, all those kinds of stuff, you know, the meaning of life. Um, and often philosophy will speculate. So, so another way in which you can get answers, you know, and the Stoics did this and, you know, modern philosophers do this is through speculation, speculating, you know, and reasoning about um, reality, um, and then another way, of course, is through impartation. He mentions human tradition. Uh, the word used there is literally the handing over of things. What is being passed on from one generation to the next. And much, if not most of what we receive, we receive through impartation. It's handed down through human tradition to us, right? We learn to speak by listening to the people around us. And the language that or languages that we learn give us the framework to think with, to think about the world, to speculate about the world, to interpret what we see and what we observe. And in other words, your, your, your culture is almost entirely passed on to you through tradition. Your culture is what's handed down to you, the language that's handed down to you, the way of thinking that's handed down to you, the objects, the stories, the songs you know, all those kind of stuff that are handed down to you that form your very worldview, your very way of thinking. Okay, impartation. And the fourth way is revelation. 
And, and he mentions two rever- ways in which revelation can be used. The one is the elemental spirits. You can get revelations from demons. Okay? And the other way is through Christ. You can rev- get revelation from God. And all of those except the one that comes from God, that which is according to Christ, is from within creation. Observation is us observing creation. But not objectively, you know, like looking at a fish bowl and observing the fish, because we are the fish in the bowl. So seeing it from the inside, okay? When we speculate, it's our reasoning, our interpretation, our, you know, efforts to, to, to understand what's going on, why, what's happening, why it's happening, etc. Um, revelation from any spirit apart from God, the Holy Spirit, they are also created spirits, so they are also from within creation. The only revelation that we have, the only source that we have that comes from outside of creation is, is God, is Jesus Christ, um, is the Holy Spirit. And if we want to have an accurate view of what the world is like, we need to make a distinction and make all the others make our observation, our speculation, and any other revelation that there might be in the world subject to the revelation of God through Jesus Christ. Because that is the accurate one. That is the infallible one. That is the ultimately trustworthy one. That's what we need to teach our children as well, to discern. I mean, so often we're, we're pretty gullible. The world is pretty gullible and accepts everything that, that, he, that he said. Now, let's... Um, let's think of philosophy, a worldview, a philosophy, a way of thinking that is not that is according to human tradition and the elemental spirits, and not according to Christ. Okay, I want to mention a an interesting one because I think it's very relevant. Who of you have heard the word woke? Okay, now. When people talk about the word woke, different people mean different things, but they don't know that. Okay? So you, do you know where the word woke comes from? Originally, it comes from the American civil liberties movement. Guys like Martin Luther King Jr. and them who were Christians, born-again Christians, and fighting against uh, or fighting for the civil liberties of um, black Americans... They spoke about woke in the sense, uh, but out of a Christian perspective, in the sense of being um, sensitive to and attuned to and on the lookout for oppression so that you can deal with it. And the way that they dealt with it was through nonviolent confrontation, through, I mean, we all know the civil liberties movement and, and, you know, what happened there, uh, led by Martin Luther King Jr. and those guys. Um, but when modern people speak of the word woke, it's something very different. Because what happened at some stage was that they took that word that Martin Luther King and them used, woke, and instead of the pursuit of biblical justice, as Martin Luther King and them used it, they brought in a different kind of justice, social justice. They used the same word, but they filled it with new content. So it was no longer according to Christ like it was 
when Martin Luther King and them used it. Because the way, I mean, I'm woke in the sense that Martin Luther King Jr. was. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> because I think we should. I mean, the Bible clearly says over and over again in the Old and the New Testament that God hates oppression. Um, Rochelle was just this morning, you know, as we were preparing, she was listening to some chapters in Isaiah 50. Um, and so much of it, you know, 55, 58, you know, those, those passages that talk about, you know, the, the fast that God delights in is releasing the bonds of wickedness. God hating the unjust prophets of the rich where, where they get it through oppression. I mean... God hates oppression. He hates exploitation. He hates injustice. He hates it. He despises it. Biblical justice is a big thing to God. Um, and Martin Luther King and those guys knew that. And they had a biblical view of, you know, woke according to Christ. And I just want to, if you want to know more about it and, and his view, read his um, letter from Birmingham prison. Do yourself a favor. I think all Christians should read that. It's just absolutely brilliant. And in, in that letter, he writes a letter as a black Christian pastor to white Christian pastors who were opposing what he was doing, you know, through the civil liberties movements, and explains the biblical basis of what he's doing. And it's absolutely brilliant. He, he, he was so based in scripture. And, and he said stuff like, um, oppression anywhere is a threat to everyone everywhere. Because oppression breeds oppression, you know. But now, in modern days, you know, with, um, you know, all kinds of social movements, and, and, and it's, I think it's the whole gambit of social movements. So that's Black Lives Matters, feminism, I mean, you name it. All, all the social movements have taken the same word, but sneakily snuck in, a philosophy that's not according to Christ. Does anyone know what the philosophy is that's underlying the modern term woke? Come on, you know. Hmm? Yes, well, well, there's one main one. But what is that? Critical race theory, what, what is that? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a specific form of Marxism. So Marxism. So, so underlying all of those movements, whether it's um, fem, modern feminism, BLM movement, what, whatever the movement is, there's Marxism. And Marxism is a different philosophy, a different way of thinking than Christianity. It's according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of this world. You know? Um, and... What is the main difference between Christianity and Marxism? Does anyone know? Well, Jesus, yes. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Sunday school answer. You know, the right answer is always Jesus. <laughs> like the Sunday school kid, you know, being shown a picture and saying, I know the right answer is Jesus, but that looks a lot like a squirrel to me. You know, <laughs> you know the right answer is always Jesus. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but the, the big difference is, um, if you've read any of Marx's stuff, Mark and, and Engels and those guys, they say that all of human history is class struggle. Okay, the struggle between different classes. Okay, so you've got the proletariat, the working class, you've got the bourgeoisie, the, the capitalist class, 
and or the, those who own, and the, according to them, people who are capitalists and owners always oppress people who are workers. Okay, and of course, uh, political parties like the ANC, the EFF, many of the political parties in South Africa, even though South Africa is supposed to be a majority Christian, almost 80% according to the census, politically, it's mostly Marxist. Okay? And the big difference is, based on that class struggle thing, that there's always an oppressed class, a victim class, and an oppressor class. Marxism makes a distinction between society, between the victims and the oppressors. Okay? So Marxism will always try to find those who are victims and, uh, and those who are oppressors. And here's the thing. According to Marxism, the problem in the world is one part of creation. Certain people, them. And the solution in the world is another part of creation, us. The working class is the solution. The capitalist owners are the oppressors and the, and the problem. And the solution is revolution. And, and you hear that in our political talk. The, what's it, national something revolution, I don't know what, uh, you know, that, that's Marxist, it's based on Marxist theory. Um, and the idea is that the oppressed must stand up through revolution against the oppressor. That happened in Soviet, in Soviet times under Stalin and them, and lots of people were killed. It happened in China under Mao Zedong, and lots of people were killed. Um, it's happening in the West, because ironically, even though Russia... And communist China lost the Cold War. They won the intellectual war. And the West, through the Western institutions like universities and so on, have accepted Soviet and Red China ideology, Marxism. And, and, and that has sort of, is, you know, more and more people are accepting that ideology, which is, not, which is based on human tradition and the elemental spirits of this world rather than on Christ. Now, here's the, here's the problem. If you say that some part of creation is the problem and another part of creation is the solution, if you're always creating a us and a them. You're always creating separation. You're always creating antagonism and conflict. And you will inevitably end up demonizing your them, the oppressors. They can do no wrong. So you don't even have to listen to them. And you'll inevitably end up idolizing your victims, the us, and we can do no wrong. So the, the, the oppressors, the, the them can do no right, and the us can do no wrong. So you'll excuse, you'll end up excusing everything that we do because it's the, the end justifies the mean. We are being oppressed, so we can do whatever we, can, we want to because we're fighting against oppression. Now, that is very different from Christianity because in Christianity, it's not some part of creation that's a problem and another part of creation that's a solution. All of creation is the problem. In Christianity, there is no us and them. There's no them that's the problem and us that's the solution. All of us are the problem. Like Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who, was, who grew up under communist um, you know, Russia, said... The line between good and evil runs down the middle of every human heart. So, like um, G.K. Chesterton, the famous writer, you know, a few hundred years ago said, you know, in answer to a question in a newspaper, what's wrong with the world? 
he wrote a letter back saying, I am your sincerely G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> What's wrong with the world? I am. I'm part of the problem. We are. I think we are would probably be a, a more accurate answer than I am. We are the problem. We as human beings, all of us are the problem. And all of us, according to Christianity, can be part of the solution. Can you see the difference? Can you see how fundamentally, because Marxism is an ideology based on human tradition and the elemental spirits of this world, it fundamentally divides people and always creates an us and a them and always creates conflict. Whereas Christianity, because it says we're all part of the problem and we can all be part of the solution by grace, by the grace of God. In fact, the solution, we can only be part of it, but it comes from outside. It comes from Christ. It comes from outside of creation because creation as a whole is the problem. Therefore, as Christians, we can never say, okay, I'm better than anyone else because I'm a Christian. If I say that, I don't understand the gospel because it's by grace that I've been saved. It's not based on what I have done to deserve it or earn it. It's based on what Christ has done for me. I can only be thankful. I cannot boast in anything. Right? So, Christianity undermines the us and the them that Marxism creates. And, and therefore, you, you'll see that the way that woke Martin Luther King Jr., with, who was woke according to Christ, and woke modern people who are woke according to Marx, how they respond or act out of their wokeism is very different, radically different. And the sad irony is many people think that those two things are the same thing, but they're very different. They're the same word, but those words refer to very different things. But I, I'm digging a bit deeper into this example because I want you to see how relevant this is. How things get messed up when we go according to philosophies you know, that, are, that are just empty deceit, that are according to human tradition, and that are according to the elemental spirits of this world. It, it messes up our society. And it is, and we can all see how it's messing up our society. And now we understand that if Paul were here, he could have looked at it like he looked at the Colossian situation and he could have analyzed it and said, this is the problem. Here's the solution. Jesus is the solution. Um, let me, let me, let's take another example. Um, in, that's, that's very relevant in South Africa. And that's um, especially in, in the black African community, you have ancestralism. Now, just go back to the scripture, um, to verse 8. If, if you, as a black South African, and, and maybe if your family has practiced or been involved in ancestor veneration or whatever you want to call it, if you read that, see to it that no one takes you captive through by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, not according to Christ. Doesn't that quite well fit what ancestralism is? There's definitely a very strong, I mean, culture is human tradition that's passed on. Um, especially in ancestralism, there's a very strong spiritual element to it the worshipping of the ancestors, or the, at least the veneration of the ancestors, um, depending on how you see it. Um, but it's not according to Christ. And yet, like in Colossae, 
where the Colossians were trying, the Colossian church was, try, was being tempted to mix these things. In South Africa, probably maybe a majority of Christians, but at least a large proportion of Christians are doing exactly that, also mixing these things. Human stuff that are according to human tradition and the elemental spirits rather than according to Christ. Now, I don't come from a family who has practiced ancestralism, so I don't understand it from the inside. I can maybe observe it from the outside and see certain things about it, but I don't understand it like you do if you come from a family. So as a Christian who comes from a family that has received that tradition, you are the one who needs to apply the gospel to it. I cannot. I don't understand it well enough, but you can. And you, when you apply the gospel to it, to ancestralism and what the gospel has to say, like Paul is doing for the, helping the Colossians to do here, then you are doing it not only for yourself, but for every other Christian in South Africa who is susceptible to that. And we need to do that. And, and you know, praise God, there are many Christians more and more who are starting to do that. Um, and... And, and I think that's, that's a very powerful way of applying the gospel in our lives. And I want to encourage you to, to go on with that. But then I just, want to, um, I just want you to notice the first sort of part of that verse. See to it that no one takes you captive. Do you see what he's saying here? The word there is a very strong word. I, I don't think it's actually used anywhere else in the New Testament. Um, and it means to be plundered and carried off. To, to, to be um, kidnapped and carried off as plunder. To be taken and carried off as plunder. So if we fall for these philosophies, these empty deceits that are according to human tradition, and, and let's be honest, almost all of us are very um, open to, very susceptible to, and, almost, and, and I also want to say very sensitive about our human traditions, our cultures that were handed down to us. So it's, it's very difficult for us to do what Paul is saying here and, say, and, and take that which, which is part of your thinking, part of your very being, how you were raised. It's, it's, it's in your language that you use. It's in the way that you think. It's in your self-identity, how you see yourself, how you identify. To take that and, and sort of Distance yourself from it a little bit and evaluate it. And say, but if I don't do this, this philosophy, this human tradition, this culture that depends on people that's passed on and that comes from revelation but not always from God. Some of it is from God. I think in every culture there's a part that comes from God, praise God. You know? But in every culture there's also a, a big part that doesn't come from God. But, but to just get the distance to evaluate it and say, but if I don't do that, this can take me captive. It can bind me. It can enslave me to something that is not Christ. And, 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 and here's the thing. What Paul is saying is that we must take responsibility for that. We cannot be passive. He says, let's look at what he says. He says, see to it. See to it. You see to it. It's your responsibility to evaluate what you've received, what you're experiencing, your culture, the impartation you've received, you must see to it that you evaluate it and that you deal with it and that you make sure that the parts that are not based on Christ are redeemed. See to it. 
Be intentional about this. How intentional are you about evaluating your culture? Each of our cultures are different. How intentional are you about evaluating it and identifying the things that are just empty and deceitful philosophy that are according to human tradition and that are according to the elemental spirits of the world and putting them to one side and taking the things that are according to Christ and putting them to the other side and saying, how can Christ redeem this? If we don't do that, we will not experience freedom. We will experience enslavement. Um, And then he says in verse 9, for, for, and what's because, linking back to the, the previous one, for in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you were full, you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. And I, I'm taking a bit too long, so I'm going to cut myself short. But I just want to say something about those two verses. Clearly, what was going on here was the false teachers were saying to the Colossians, it's good to start off with Christ, but you've got to graduate to deeper stuff. You know, you, you, you've got to go from the milk to the meat. You know, and, and we've got the meat. If you want the fullness of what Christianity has to offer, you've got to listen to our philosophies and traditions and stuff. That's clearly what they were saying. And, and Paul is saying, no, they've got it totally wrong. The fullness of God and God obviously contains the fullness of everything. I mean, if, if I paint... No, I'm, I'm not a painter. <laughs> Fortunately, my daughter's not here. She's giving kids church. Because she would have laughed, you know, if, if I said I, if I paint. Because she, she actually draws quite well. But if I draw a picture or painting, I can draw all kinds of different pictures and paintings. But whatever the painter produces is in the painter. Right? So every picture portrays a small bit of what's in the painter. Now, it's the same with God and creation. Creation reflects the creator, just like the painting reflects the painter. But there's more in the creator than in creation, just like there's more in the painter than one mere painting. Okay? So here's the thing. God contains everything. Everything. And if we want fullness, we need to find it in God. And God has made fullness accessible in one way, by making himself, sending himself. Because we, can, we don't have access to God. He's spirit. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we, our human senses don't have access to him. And therefore he sent himself, his son, in bodily form. And that's why all the fullness of God The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Christ and is therefore accessible to us because he's visible, he's tangible. Now, I think it's amazing that God wanted to make himself accessible to us, that he wanted to make all the fullness that is in him. He wanted to put it in a form that we can actually receive because i mean if you think about it looking at god would be like looking at the sun without 
a filter without glasses. It's just much worse because God's glory is so great. If you look at the sun long enough without a filter, it's going to burn and destroy your, your iris, your, your, your retina, sorry. It's going to destroy your retina. It's going to damage your eyes, okay? And if, if we looked at God, if God made himself just, boom, here I am, you know, and we look at him, our eyes would burn out, you know, from the glory of it. But that verse is saying that he made the full, the whole fullness of deity available in bodily form. In other words, Jesus, God in Jesus put on a human filter that made it safe for us to look at him, to see him, to get to know him, to perceive him. Isn't that amazing that God did that for us, that he made himself accessible to us in this way? That's the ultimate revelation. We were talking about observation, speculation, impartation, and then revelation. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God in bodily form, in a form that we can relate to and access, and that doesn't destroy us. And then he takes it further, and he says, but that whole, and just notice, uh, before I jump ahead of myself, he says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Just note the, the, the tense of the verb there. Not dwelled, past tense bodily, but dwells still bodily. Even after the resurrection, God has a human body in Christ Jesus. Okay, But then he goes on and says, um, And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. And notice the verb again. Not you will be filled in him. Not you are being filled in him. You have been filled in him. You have been filled in him. In other words, if you are in Christ, and if you read that passage, you'll see how the, the term for in him, and you have been filled in him. And in verse 11, in him also you were circumcised. In him, in him, in him, in Christ. That's the theme here. If you are in Christ, then everything of, that is available to Christ, everything that is in Christ is given to you. How much do we underestimate what we already have in Christ? I mean, what God has given us is astonishing. He doesn't hold back. I mean, when we're in relationship, we sort of test the waters, you know, and see whether it's safe to give more of ourselves. And, and even when we want to give more of ourselves, you know, especially if we're men, we struggle a bit with that, you know. That's our thing, you know. <laughs> We, 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 oh, at least some of us. I'm stereotyping now. I'm stereotyping now. I'm, I, I'm sure not all men are as bad as I am. <laughs> Praise God. Good for you guys. If you like, have like serious high emotional intelligence, well done. Um, the rest of us don't like you, you know. <laughs> You're too smooth for us. <laughs> You're good, too good at this. No, I'm joking. We like you. But... <laughs> We, we just envy you a little bit. Okay. But, you know, we struggle to give all of ourselves. God doesn't. God doesn't hold back. He gives all of himself. So when he, when he gives himself to you and fills you, he fills you to overflowing. God has given you more than you realize, more than you contain, more than you can handle of himself. He's the one person 
who will never hold back anything from you. Think about that. He's the friend who will always let you in and never let you down. Every other friend, no matter how much, every other spouse, no, every other parent, no matter how much they love you, will sometimes fail to let you in and will sometimes, unfortunately, let you down. Jesus is the only one who will never do that. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all authority. In other words, if you want everything there is, the only place you can find it is in Christ. But I hope my sort of discussion of Marxism and ancestralism helps you to see how sneaky our world is in smuggling these things that are according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits and not according to Christ, smuggling them into our thinking, into our culture, into our worldview, without us even realizing it. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you, Lord, that you are who you are. Lord, and sometimes we we think, Lord, that, that you are relevant to our spiritual lives, our religious lives, but not relevant to the rest of our lives. And, Lord, we just want to reject that lie and that deception in Jesus' name. You are relevant to all of our lives, to everything in our lives. And, and we need to look at everything through a gospel filter, through gospel lenses. And we pray that you'll help us to do that in a world that thinks so wrongly and so if we have to be honest so dangerously so us and them so divisively please help us to think right according to Christ and to live right according to Christ Lord we repent that we as the church so often misrepresent you Lord and fail to to take these things seriously and even think about them seriously Lord but we want to do that now, Lord God, and we want to pray, Lord, that you'll help us, Lord, to live according to Christ, not according to other things, and to teach our disciples and our children to live according to Christ and not according to other things. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.